So, the last past couple Sundays, I think, we've been, talk- we've been talking about, Pastor Scott has been showing us uh, that illustration with the tea, right? The soaking, not just the dip, but the soaking, being immersed, being immersed in Jesus. So, we're going to take that illustration and we will be immersing, we'll be soaking ourselves in Psalm 8. So this first Sunday, we'll be camping on God's majesty. We're going to read the, 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 the psalm. And um, also the, ne- the next Sunday, we will be looking at humanity's role in, in God's majesty. As we read the psalm, we'll see that they both play a part in it. So how about let's open our Bibles or turn on our Bibles. And let's go to Psalm 8. Alright, so, O Yahweh, or Lord, if you see the, the capital, um, or capitalized Lord, it means the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So I'm going to do that, I'm going to play with that, whenever that appears, I'm going to say Yahweh instead, okay? So, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants, You have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed by your creation, when we see it, see it and, and contemplate it, it is just huge. It is, it is amazing. It is great. And we are so tiny compared to it, Father. Thank you. Thank you because you, you have done all this and you have put us, you have given us our responsibility. You have partnered with us for, um, to take care of it, to love it. To be partners with you as we exercise our wise stewardship over it. May we ponder and think and meditate on what this psalm is calling us to do. And what this is pointing at and what it is calling us as your part of your creation. A creation that bears your image. What are we supposed to do? May we take our time to pause and think and meditate in it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word because we can study it. We can dwell in it. We can meditate on it. And that's something we've been called to do as part of, of being your, your children, part of following you, to be soaked in it, to be immersed in it, and let it transform our lives. May this be an opportunity in order for us to start taking those steps into meditation, into thinking and just letting ourselves be soaked in it. Give us your wisdom. 
Give us your word. What you, your words and not ours. Your will and not ours. As we slowly um, meditate on this psalm. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we've seen, this psalm is very obvious. It is um, it's a psalm of praise. And he's doing it through the means of poetry. This psalm, and if we notice right, it ends and it begins with the same line. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all earth. It is verses 1 and 9. So this line does not, is not only telling us what the psalm is all about. But by being at the beginning and then at the end, it's also showing us how is it that the Lord's name is majestic? Where, where do we see that? So, on the first line, after that repeated line, right? Oh, oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So, let's begin with the name. So you, uh, how majestic is your name? And when we think about the name, we think about the Lord's name, which is Yahweh. That's supposed to be pronounced. Um, but we, we, we don't have to... The invitation here is to think not about the name in itself, but what the name is associated with. For example, if I say Michael Jordan... We associated that with something, right? The best basketball player ever. Not second to LeBron. I'm so sorry. Ah, there we go. <laughs> he, we think about his championships. Think about all his rings. Well, his three years, his, uh, the first three years, his two um, retirement years, and then his other three years. We know all this, and we know what he did. We know how he trained. So we, we associate all this. Yes, we do have an image, physical image of who he is. But we associate what he has done when we hear the name. So the sa- it's the same over here. This, when we hear Yahweh, when we hear Lord, which is that all caps, right? We are supposed to think, we are called, we are invited to think about what Yahweh has done. What should come to mind is, especially in this psalm, is what he has created. Which is everything. Everything that we see has been created by him. So, how majestic your name in all the earth means that in all the things that are in the earth, and as we think today in the earth as as, as the globe, right? And outside of it, we can see God's handiwork. We can see... What he has done. And they point to that. They point to him. When we see all the heavens. We know. That they are just. Not revealing who God is. But they're just pointing. There is a creator. There's someone who made all this. We keep going on the second line. Um, You have said your glory above the heavens. And now you have this other word right. We have this word glory, and um, let's, let's clear the table for it, and let's think, and let's pause, and ask ourselves, what does it mean? What is glory? What is God's glory? So in order to understand these sometimes words that, you know, that appear in the Bible, uh, it's usually best to go back 
in the story and, and, and see where these words have been used before. One of the clearest moments in which the Bible talks about God's glory is one, um, it's in the tabernacle. When after the tabernacle is built, we, we, we read that God's glory descended as a cloud and filled the Holy of Holies. So for the Israelites in the wilderness, this cloud symbolizes the physical presence of God who rescued them from Egypt. So there's always that association. Yes, we see this. This is this cloud, it's a physical manifestation of the presence of the one who has done this and that and the other for us to free us from Pharaoh, to rescue us from Egypt. Because we were in oppression and they were suffering. They needed to get out. So this cloud, not the cloud in itself again, but we are able to see a physical manifestation of this God who cannot be contained by creation. So in our psalm, when we read, you have set your glory above the heavens, this symbolizes that the, that this, that the visible presence of God, which is unequal and it's unsurpassed, and it's beyond, unrivaled in every respect, it cannot be contained by the heavens themselves. How could they? He is the creator. He can't be contained by the creation. So the psalmist is saying that God's glory, which sometimes appears as a burning bush, or as fire, or as a cloud, or as light, in whichever way we can perceive it, so God accommodates himself to our level, so we can perceive him, in reality is greater, much vaster, and far more extensive than the heavens themselves. Just to give you an idea... Um, we, we are familiar with, with what an embassy is, right? It's a representation of a country in a different country. Now, if you're in whatever, Europe or any other place, it's not the United States, when you go to the embassy, you, when you go in there, you see, you would kind of like even feel like you're in the United States. The artwork and everything that is in it, the people speak in your language, so you would feel like, oh, I'm stepping into the United States. As a matter of fact, it is, territorially speaking, it is the United States. However, can an embassy contain the country itself? It's a little hard to do that, right? So, but it is, again, what he's telling you is that this is a physical representation of what the, what, uh, the country actually is. Can he contain it? No, but he can perceive it. So when we see God's glory as a cloud, as light, as all these things, what we're seeing is just a tiny ETB representation of who God is. Creation can't contain him. He's bigger, greater than that, but we, he accommodates himself so we, can, so we can perceive him. So when we see this, the heavens and and, and, and creation itself, we can have an idea. They point to someone who created them. So, now, moving on to the next verse, uh, which seems like a little out of place sometimes, right? Like, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. It's quite the contrast, isn't it? Babies and infants with enemy and Avengers. Not the Marvel Avengers, right? But 
Anyway, so the interesting thing is that God uses the mouth of babies and infants to establish his strength on the account of the enemy and the avenger. So, let us think about what the enemy and the avenger are and what is their role. What do they do? They don't recognize the name of God. Let's remember, we started this with how majestic your name is. The enemy and the avenger, they do not recognize the name of the Lord. They do not, and by the name is not like, oh, yes, we cannot not pronounce it. No. We do not recognize what the name is associated with. What he has done. They deny him. He's not the creator. He doesn't rule over my life. And so on and so on. I can make my own decisions. Anyway. That is the essence of the enemies. They don't recognize the revelation that came through the name. If they would come to such full recognition, they would stop being enemies. Nevertheless, they are enemies because they don't come to this recognition of it. Now, and many of us have seen, you know, babies and infants. Um, We particularly are glad that for now we have one baby because they are a lot of work. I mean, they're the cutest, chunkiest little things, right? You just want to eat them. And uh, metaphorically. Um, so it's, but, but, you know, they're beautiful, right? But, but they are so vulnerable. They are so dependent. They, they cannot even, he's starting to roll on himself. No, right now, right? But, but then he rolls, he does that and he, he cannot go back on his back and he's complaining. So then I got to go and, you know, and help him and so on and feed him and all these things. Nonetheless, it is the, 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 the writer of the psalm is saying that, these babies, and it's an image, right? Remember, this is poetry. Uh, these babies and infants, they, what they symbolize, and what a great image, human weaknesses. Human weakness and humility. And this is the thing, and this is the kicker here. But they have a strength greater than that of God's enemies when they take their name, his name, sorry, when they take God's name on their lips. Even on the mouth of babies, no enemy and avenger can rise up to that. Because the name of the Lord, even in the mouth of babies and infants, sometimes babies cannot even articulate it. Again, it's, it's poetry, right? And infants probably mispronounce it. It is far stronger than that. And we can think about Paul here in Corinthians saying, the foolishness, the weakness of the world the Lord uses to put the other people in their place, the ones who think they are wiser, stronger. So it is, in other words, so this in relation with verse 1, God utilizes the weak of this world, even the babies and the infants, both to establish His strength, reflected in His nature and in creation, and at the same time to put at rest, to still the opposition of the enemies. So, we, this prepares for what's coming. Because what's coming next, in verse, in verse 1 we're told who he is majestic, right? In all the earth. We see everything, he's majestic. And then in verse 2 we are told that this majesty does not come from human arrogance. But from the childlike recognition and enunciation of God's name. Who he is. Again, God's name it's not just the name in itself. 
it's, I recognize that Yahweh, what He has done, both on create, in creation, creating everything, and then what's doing in us. We need to, it, that's, that's what we need to think about the name. It's recognize what He has done in that, not through human arrogance, not the way I think things are. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But it's just His ways. The Lord's ways. Because that is a far, that is far stronger than anything else. So these verses reminds us of what's coming, I mean, prepares us for what's coming afterwards. Verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars and you, uh, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. So, just to give you an idea, um, a few years ago I was able to to go hiking, and uh, I went to this um, to this mountain range. This is a mountain called Salcante. This is twenty. Uh, there we go. It's kind of nice, right? Um, it's it's twenty thousand feet, over twenty thousand feet. It's very high. You, you, maybe you can see. Yeah, you can see it in the back. That covered with snow, right? It's the camping spot is just like at the base of the mountain. It's huge. It's am- it's great. It's uh, when I and I remember being there, having that feeling that I have a little tiny here. You know, I this is if I fall down, also I will die. Um, and and so many feelings that this of this feeling of being overwhelmed by. How huge and like I just just looking at it, it's, just be awed by it, and it's 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 amazing. And so the psalm here is just trying to evoke that in us, like this, the creation itself. It's my. It points to who that that who is majestic, because it's just amazing, and then. I was able to go to one of the other places. Um, it's a South Flat. We have some South Flats here in Utah, right? Uh, well, not here, but in the United States here. Um, and this thing is just like 4,000 square, uh, square miles. It's just big. Amazing. So it's, and, it's, and you think Minnesota's flat. So this is, this is super flat. This is beyond flat. I don't know. It's, it's a plane, whatever. And the amazing thing is that, you know, that's all salty and so on. And I don't recommend tasting that. But some, we went to a spot that it was covered with water. And when that's, because it's so flat, when it's covered with water, it becomes like a huge mirror. And you just don't know where heaven and the earth begin. They just meet at the horizon. It seems like he, someone painted that. Like, like that's someone came up with that, uh, that out of I don't know either imagination, but it isn't. It's something it's, where you're there, and you see this. Oh my goodness! It's again, you you feel that pressure on your chest. That I am so tiny. I am so small, and I have could ever never think about. Making something like this. And we don't need to go to the other side of the world. To a different hemisphere. Um, first time I was 
one of the winters I was here, I heard the term sondog. And I was like, what? Sondog? And then I was taught, right? That, oh, there you go. That's a sondog. And this, this is, I took this picture this winter. This is um, in the intersection between 60 and East Gateway. It's just like right over here, like probably a mile from here. But it was early in the morning. It was very cold. Um, aren't we glad, right? So, <laughs> but, you know, I saw that. And, and, and thankfully, there was no one else in, in the road. And I was able to pause. Stop. There's a stop sign there, so we should stop when we see those. And I was able to take that picture. It's beautiful. And, and sometimes in our daily dealings and what we do every day, we are so rushed and, 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 we, and we, don't, we don't take the time to stop. Because it's not only in the heavens, it's not only in the sky, but it's in the tiniest little things. You know, our reality is stranger than fiction. You, and, and we know here, we, we are more in contact with, with nature and, and with farms and with animals and all this and with creation itself. That little seed... Comes corn. If you put it under the ground and you put water and sunlight, I know there's science behind it. Don't let's not rationalize this, but that's weird. Just just think about it. Like it, it is weird. Then then you have this little seed, and some we've seen orchards here, right? Little, little seed. Put it again under the ground and water and all that stuff. It's a big tree out of that little seed. And it gives tons of apples. It is weird. So I invite you at some point to just stop. Stop and, 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 and go outside on a clear night and just gaze at the stars. Just look, just contemplate the heavens. And we will have that sense that we are tiny. That we are small. That... The, it's just like that, just like the sun. It, it looks small. But the sun is huge. It's, it, when, we, when we see it, when, when you see it in scale, it's, it's just like, well, I have it here, but you can, I don't know if you can see this thing. That's the earth, that blue little dot. I think I made my point. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. That's the earth. That, this little dot. That's the earth. And for us, mountains are huge. And lakes and so on. And oceans. And the sun is not the biggest star in the universe. We're far bigger. We are tiny. We are small. We are a speck. Nonetheless, let's go back to our psalm. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Right? What is man that you are mindful of him? This huge creation and universe. And what, what are we that he is mindful of us? And the son of man, which is another way just, just to say poetry. Let's remember this poetry. Another way to say human or man. 
that you care for him. It is this God that creation cannot contain, that is beyond that. And he cares for us. He cares for us. And not only that, verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And then we have that word again. You have that word um, glory. What, is, what does this mean? What does this word glory mean? We'll, go, we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll finish reading this, this section. Uh, Crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, all that is under our dominion. So what does this mean to be, going back to that word glory, because it is the rest of the psalm, verses uh, 6 through 8, that we have dominion over all this creation, is related to glory. So what does that look like? We, we don't have the glory that the Lord has, that He's out, that He's bigger, vaster than creation, so that the heavens cannot contain Him. What is that? And as we think about all these things, we, we've seen pictures and, and mountains and, and talk about celestial bodies and so on. They, they, they are pointers. They point to, they point to the one who uh, created it, created them. That's, that's what they do. They are pointers. You see this mountain, you see this celestial body, you see all these things, they point to a creator. But they cannot reflect the creator. They cannot explain you why. They just point. They cannot explain you why every, we see what we see. Why the Lord had... We, they cannot, these pointers cannot question and meditate about what is man that you're mindful of him. They don't. So what is our role in this? Because we are called to something. We have been crowned with glory and honor. And this takes us back. As we, uh, the next verses we read, 6 through 8. Um, it takes us back to Genesis. It's, it's probably like very close to a copy-paste from Genesis 1. Male and female have been created in the image of God. So the, the fact that he uses here, crowned him with glory and honor, it's another way of saying being created in the image of God. Now, when we think of image of God, um, we, we usually think, Oh, not so want to say usually, but it's when we think of an image, we, we probably think like a picture, a photograph, something like that, right? Um, that you see at it, and we see the person that is in it. Or if it's a it's a mirror, being image of God, it means like oh yeah, God can see Himself reflected uh, back on me. But and I'm gonna have this illustration over here. But being image of God, it's more like being an angled mirror. So. What God wants us to do, it's not that you look at yourself at it, but let's see who can I see from here. There we go. Evan, can you see me? Yeah, well, kind of, right? It's a little... There we go. Now, you're looking at the mirror. You're not looking at me. You're looking at the mirror. 
right? And I see Dan too over there. So he, that's the role of humanity. It is not for God Himself to see Him back. There's some grain of truth in that. But it's more about that the Lord, through humans, is reflected out to the world. That's what it is about. If you think about it, and then you read, put this down before it breaks or something. Um, if you think about it, and, and let's read the psalm, and think about Genesis, crowning him with glory and honor, how? By giving him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all, put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and so on, the beasts of the field, the uh, birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. This dominion, this rule... That's the glory we have been given. We have entered into a partnership with God because even though we're tiny, the Lord decided to come and made Himself um, perceivable to us and given us this partnership. I'm, I want to rule this world, says the Lord. I do it through the mirror, through humans. So what does this mean? It means that when people or when creation itself, they look at humanity, what they should see is a reflection of God. We know that the story doesn't go that way. I mean, that was the purpose at the beginning, to be that image of God, for God Himself to be reflected through the mirror, through humans, towards creation, towards the world, and then bring the praises the articulated praises of the world through humans towards God. That was the purpose. Nonetheless, uh, we know that the story doesn't go that way. Two chapters later, or two pages later in Genesis, we get the fall. We get Genesis 3. Uh, humanity listens to the serpent. And everything goes into chaos and death. Humanity has... To some extent, lost the ability to be the image. What's going to happen now? There is a promise made at the end of Genesis 3. A descendant will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. So we're waiting. I mean, at that point, right? We're waiting for who is that? Who will be the one to come and restore the image of God? And we know the answer. And we've studied in that book now. And as we're soaking ourselves in it, as we're soaking ourselves in Psalm 8, when we go to John 1, there is this line, 114, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus comes as that true human who is able to reflect God. And He tells us later on to Thomas, right? Philip, Philip, it was Philip. If you have seen me, Jesus... You have seen the Father. So He is fulfilling the purpose of Genesis 1. 
So when he comes to Psalm 8, and, and, and David is meditating on what does it mean to be the image of God, is exercising this wise stewardship over creation in which we are revealing who God is. Because we cannot reveal His creativity or His power, but we reveal His character. We reveal His virtues. We reveal that He's a care-loving, merciful God. That's what we are called to do. That's what we think of it. And it does not, and it's very interesting because we see this creation that is so huge, so big, so vast, but it cannot reveal who God is. It can point at it, but it cannot reveal who He is. Humanity has been given that. You and I have been given that privilege. We have been calling to that partnership. And even though we decided to go our own ways, and even though we want to trust in ourselves, just like Adam and Eve did, there goes one more step. And he says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to partner with you. So you, so I can rule through you. And then when humanity is able to be restored, when, when, when we see that in Jesus, right? Jesus is, is he's the first fruit. He's the, he's, he's the prototype. He's the one who started all this or restarted all this. Um, after that, once humanity fulfills his role, when we, when we fulfill our role as image of God and we live accordingly, how does the psalm end? When they see us, Oh Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The beginning and end. Creation's role and our role. It is when we let Jesus do that in our hearts and in our lives. The way we relate, the way we live. People, the world will see us and they will say, Oh, Yahweh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We do need a lot of work. <laughs> we do need a lot of transformation. But it has already started. If we have believed as Jesus, that Jesus is the one who fulfills us, that Jesus is the one restoring us, that he has saved us from our sin, that he is, is, is the one making that His way into our hearts, establishing His way of life in us, then we're in the right direction. Because then, then we will see at each other. And the praise that will come out is, O Lord our Lord, O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Next Sunday... We will be seeing how we make this happen. But for now, we have been given this huge purpose. We have been given this huge privilege of partnering with God. Being His image. 
having that image restored. Let us think how, how do we carry that in that little and every routines that we have every day. How can we start transforming those? So that praise that comes out of the people around us, out of everyone around us, is how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe, and, and we are, you, you're amazing, you're big, and you, you're vast, and you're beyond what we can perceive, Father. And again and again, every time as we read Scripture, we find ways in which you can make yourself available, perceivable to us. Side in the garden, we sign in the tabernacle, and then we see a clearest in Jesus, which He can fully, when we can see Him, we can fully see You, Father. And let us remember, Father, that this is, this is a, this is one big, huge step You have taken us. That You have all these things that You have created. That this psalm is asking us and inviting us to ponder, to think, to meditate on your creation, to, that it points to you. And we are so small, so little. And you have crowned us with this. You have given us this purpose. We pray, Father, that as we come to Jesus, that as we think about these things, we start reorganizing our priorities. And we start thinking, what does, what do I need to be transformed in what parts of my life need to be transformed so when they see me, they don't see me as who I am, but they see you. And then we all can praise how majestic your name is in all the earth. In your name we pray. Amen.